We go back to the beginning this morning as we turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through verse 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you've given to us, words by the inspiration of your Spirit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us, that you would show us today what marriage is all about. As we go back to the beginning and see what you ordained as you established marriage and the family. Lord, guide us into your truth. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, I was given a little exercise on the roles of husband and wife. And since then, I've used that in in meeting with couples who uh, have planned to get married. I don't have the original document anymore, and it was actually uh, printed on a dot matrix printer. Uh, Some of you have no idea what that is. I was asking some in the younger generation what a dot matrix printer was. They just kind of said, no, I don't have any idea. Well, let me just say this. As far as quality goes, it wasn't the, the greatest quality printer. So I don't have the original document, but I have copied... And I have recopied that document over the years. And if you're wondering what it looks like today, uh, let me just say it's a little bit fuzzy. Not a real clear uh, image. Many generations have passed since God ordained marriage. Since marriage was established in the Garden of Eden, God performed that first wedding with Adam and Eve Many generations have passed, and I would say to you, and you'd probably agree with me, that things have become a little bit fuzzy in terms of what really is a marriage and what's a marriage about, especially in our culture today. We have come a long way from the beginning and what God said that marriage really is. And so, if we are going to understand what marriage is, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the original. We need to see what the book of Genesis tells us about God's plan and God's purpose for marriage. We have a good reason for doing that because that's what Jesus did. Remember in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was asked some questions about marriage and about divorce. And what Jesus did twice in that section is He goes back to the beginning. Here's what marriage was. Here's how it was established 
And so we'd be wise to do the same. And so this morning we go back to the beginning. And as we go back to the beginning, there are three foundational truths about marriage that we really need to understand in our culture today. And the first one is this, is that marriage is established by God. As you examine the first two chapters of of Genesis, you can't help but notice that God is the initiator in all that we see. Chapter 1, we see phrases like God created, God said, God called, God made, God separated, God saw, God blessed. And many of those phrases are used over and over again. So God was very active in creation, in calling and naming and and creating and so forth. The same is true with marriage. As we come to this section of Scripture, R. Kent Hughes says, Divine initiative is at the root of everything. As we see the God-initiated verbs in our text. Verse 18, the Lord God said. Verse 19, the Lord God formed. Verse 21, the Lord God caused. Verse 22, the Lord God made. So everything here is directly from Him. God is the one who has established marriage. Now, it's interesting, prior to the establishment of marriage, God declared what He had seen as being good. He liked what He saw. Uh, Six times we see the, the word good. God saw that it was good. And then the seventh time, God saw that it was very good. A little bit surprising then maybe when we come to verse 18 of chapter 2, because after all these times when God said it was good, now we find this phrase, not good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. This obviously doesn't mean that there was something evil or something sinful here. The the phrase not good really emphasizes that it wasn't complete yet. It wasn't finished. God still had more work to do in establishing marriage and the family. And what's interesting to notice about this statement is that this wasn't Adam's assessment of the situation. It wasn't Adam who said, you know, it's not good that I'm alone. This was God's assessment. And even if Adam didn't know this, God knew that Adam was not complete without Eve. And so God did something to change that. It was God's idea to establish marriage. One author puts it this way. He says, The observation and declaration of Adam's need is all of God's. God did not consult Adam. Indeed, Adam may not have had any idea that it was not good for him to be alone. He may not even have known that he was alone. He says, remember, he was in Eden with every bountiful provision that he could desire, including a whole zoo of pets that adored him as their ruler. God was not responding to a complaint by Adam. Not good was God's sovereign, unilateral assessment. So God is the one who has established marriage. And if God is the one who has established marriage, then we don't have the right to redefine it. And that's what we're trying to do in our culture today, to redefine marriage. We do not have that right. 
Because God is the one who has established marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Why? Because that's God's plan. So God is the one who has established marriage. And then the second lesson we learn is that God is the one who has designed marriage. Marriage is designed by God. Before God created Eve, Adam was blessed in some wonderful ways. He had fellowship with God. He lived in a beautiful garden. Had a great job tending that garden. Animals to enjoy. If you look at what it said, after Adam gave names to the animals, you see that that wasn't enough. Verse 19, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. And then we find this statement at the end of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. There was not found a helper suitable for him. It wasn't enough just to have the birds and the bees and the cattle and the cats and dogs and whatever else God had made. Sometimes we hear people say that a dog is a man's best friend. But you know what? We need more than a dog. We need more than a cat. We need more than a pet. Because we need someone with whom we can share our life. And that's what God said about Adam. It's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper that is suitable for him. There's a couple of words here that help explain God's design for marriage. Uh, The first is the word helper. And we find that twice. uh, Once in verse 18 as well as in verse 20. I will make a helper suitable for him. Unless you think that this term degrades women by putting them into some kind of a subservient role. Consider the fact that this word is used to describe how God helps us. 1 Samuel 7, verse 12, this word is used. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Same word. So as husbands, one of the ways that God helps us is through our wives. So the question maybe we need to ask is, are you willing to let her help you? Are you willing to acknowledge that you need her help? Or are you one of those men that is self-sufficient, right? You can handle it yourself. You're a man. You don't need anybody in your life. That's foolish. You need a helper, And God has given your wife to be a helper. And wives, are you willing to be that kind of helper that your husband needs? He needs you. He desperately needs you. Even if he doesn't know it, he needs you. And God has called you to be that helper. The second word that's quite interesting here is the word suitable. I will make a helper suitable for him. We find that twice, once in verse 18 and and again in in verse 20. That's a fascinating word. It carries the idea that Eve was fit for Adam, 
or that she complemented Adam or completed him. I have the New American Standard Version. It has a footnote that says that Eve was a helper corresponding to Adam. Some suggest it carries the idea of being opposite of Adam. That's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? I think we'd probably say, yeah, that, that, that's right. We're, we're, not, we're not quite the same. So God provided in Eve what was lacking in Adam. That's why someone has said when a man gets married, he's finished. I mean, completed. <laughs> right? <laughs> completed. Now, there are many couples who struggle with this because it frustrates them. They don't understand each other because they look at things differently. Okay? Ever experienced that in your marriage? You look at one situation from different viewpoints and you don't understand, why doesn't he get it? And she's thinking the same thing. Why doesn't he get it? Why doesn't she get it? You know, there's that different perspective. And sometimes that can be challenging, right? Let's admit it. But let's embrace that because God has established marriage to complete one another. Adam needed a helper that was suitable for him, corresponding to him. And that's why there's a completion that takes place when a man gets married. So embrace it, guys. You need a helper suitable, corresponding to you. And that is a beautiful thing when that is taking place in a a Christian marriage. So marriage is established by God. Marriage is designed by God. How about this? Marriage is performed by God. Although Adam had no clue what God was going to do for him, God had a perfect plan to change his life forever. (laughs) The first thing God did was to miraculously create a helper for him. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. So Adam didn't come to the conclusion that he needed a wife. And he obviously didn't go out looking for one. This was all God's doing. It was his gracious provision for his need for a helper. And I like how the New American Commentary describes it. It says the deep sleep that Adam experiences and the procedure that follows is initiated and carried out exclusively by God. The man is is not even a conscious spectator. He's sleeping. And God takes a rib from him and fashions a woman into him. Adam takes a nap. And when he wakes up, he has a wife. Isn't that interesting? I'm sure he didn't see that coming. But you know, that's how it kind of works. The least you, when you least expect it, then God brings someone into your life. Did you find that to be true? I think a lot of couples would say that, boy, when I least expect it, God brought someone into my life, right? Took a nap and there was my wife, huh? Some of you are probably thinking, I'm going to take a nap this afternoon and maybe God will have a wife for me, huh? You, you guys, young unmarried guys, huh? <laughs> oh, man. God miraculously created a helper. And I love the phrase at the end of verse 22. Not only did God create a helper, but verse 22 says that He brought her to the man. 
Not only did he make her, but he brought her to the man. Do you think God is involved in marriages today? Do you think God brings people together? How many of you believe that? Huh? Do you believe that God brought your spouse to you? Huh? Beautiful thing. God brought her to the man. Like a father giving his bride away to that young strapping man that wants to marry her. That's what God did. He gave away this beautiful woman that he had made for Adam. You remember that, Isaiah? Just a couple years ago when I walked up the aisle with Anna and uh, I took her hand and I gave it to you. Isn't that special? Yeah. And you know what Adam said when he saw Eve? He said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Some see that as the, the, the world's first love song. And I don't imagine him saying it, no, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I bet he said that with wonderful enthusiasm. This is now bone of my bone. This is sweet, huh? Isn't that wonderful? When you saw your wife coming up that aisle, guys, what'd you think? Huh? I heard something. Beautiful, right? Sweet. Look at that beautiful bride. I'll never forget that day when my wife came up the aisle. Tears running down her cheeks. Shocking, right? <laughs> but she was beautiful, and she's beautiful today. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Um, one author says that Adam saw her as a mirror of himself with some very agreeable differences. <laughs> what a beautiful bride. And then God made them one flesh. Notice verse 24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know why they become one flesh? They become one flesh because God makes them one flesh. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6, when Jesus was asked some questions about marriage, he says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So when a man and woman get married, God is present there. He joins them together. And so marriage isn't just a covenant between a man and a woman. It is a covenant between a man and a woman and God, because God joins them together. And we need to do all that we can to be faithful to that covenant that was established there. And we're given some instructions on that. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. So there's a principle there that no other relationship is more important than our relationship with our spouse. Not even our relationship with our parents, nor our children. And there are some couples today that haven't left their parents, still uh, think more of mom and dad than their spouse, and that is not God's plan. No other relationship 
is more important than your marriage relationship. Not your parents, not your kids. And there's some counsel for us as parents. Let them leave, right? Let them leave. I see some relationships today where parents are way too involved in the marriage of their kids. And it's not healthy. So those of us who have children that are married or soon to get married, we need to let them go. That's God's plan. A man shall leave. No other relationship that's more important than that. Hughes says so many marriages fail today at precisely this point. Husbands and wives fail to leave their parents. First loyalties are not established. The creation norm is ignored and marriage perverted. Any man or woman who believes that first loyalties belong to their parents believes a perversion. A perversion. So we need to leave. And then we need to do, what we need to do is to make sure that we maintain a lifetime commitment to our spouse. The word joined in verse 24 carries the idea of clinging to or adhering to. And our wedding vows express that well, don't they? It means for better and for worse. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health, we love and cherish until death brings separation. Judy and I have seen that displayed in the marriages of our parents. My mother came down with Alzheimer's before she died. And I witnessed my father lovingly caring for her for many months. And I saw Judy's dad caring lovingly for his wife, my mother-in-law, as she faced times of, of health needs. That's the kind of relationships that we need when, when we make those vows before God. We don't know what's going to come. You know, we say for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. And when we're young, we don't really think about that. But, you know, as you get older, things can change. It can become more challenging. And those vows that we make in the presence of God are vows that we need to take seriously. And by the grace of God, to follow through on those vows. Is that something we do in our own strength? No, it is not. We read from Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, the role of husbands and wives. And you need to notice the connection that is made between that and the previous section. Because right before that, Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit. And he talks about the results of that. And one of the results is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he illustrates it. Marriage. Parents. Employers. That kind of relationship. So that's where the power comes. That's where the strength comes. It's not going to come on our own willpower. But as the Holy Spirit fills us, empowers us, works through us, that these relationships can be what God ordained them to be. That's why you need to know Jesus as your Savior. You need to have His Spirit dwelling within you each day so that those challenges that come to every marriage, I don't care who you are, there's challenges that come to every marriage relationship. You need the power of the Holy Spirit working through you, enabling you to commit until death your love and commitment to that one that you married. 
Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the plan that You established many years ago. A plan that has become very fuzzy in our day today. Lord, help us to see that You've established marriage. You have designed marriage. And You're the one that performs these marriages as well. That covenant between husband and wife and You. Oh God, give us the strength and, and love for our spouses that we might indeed, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, love and cherish till death do us part. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.